Thanks for tuning in to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thirst for More podcast was created to help strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone that loves lifting heavy shit all be connected under one roof. We take deep dives into coaching, programming and training, running gyms, nutrition, and overall improving your knowledge in the field of strength and conditioning. If you're new here, I'm glad you're able to tune in and hope you can just take away one awesome piece of information today to help you along with your journey. If you're a returning supporter, I appreciate you being along for the ride. Now let's dive into today's episode. On episode 31 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Alicia Israel of Alicia's Barbell. I've been fortunate to know Alicia for over a decade now through our ties in Elite FTS and all of our connections in Ohio, and it's been awesome to watch her career grow and Alicia's Barbell become an authority on women's health, nutrition, and hormones. Alicia didn't start out that way, so we kind of talk about her humble beginnings of getting into the fitness space and how Alicia's Barbell came to be, but then on top of that, how she even made a business pivot swing to focus just more specifically on the hormonal and nutritional aspect for females. So if you happen to work with female athletes, you are a female athlete or looking to expand your knowledge in working with female athletes in that sector, this is going to be the podcast for you. We discuss everything from nutrition to business to women's hormones and even the menstrual cycle and how that can affect overall what women are getting from their nutrition and their physical activity. But on top of that, we also break down on the menstrual cycle thing of why girls are having issues with birth control and how that's affecting their menstrual cycle. So you're going to get a good facet and brief information on that, but also how you can apply that to helping your clients or your athletes if you're working with that female population. I know that's a population that I work with a lot. We have plenty of female athletes and being able to have these discussions and understanding their health, their hormones, and how we can get the most out of them, not only in the weight room, but from the nutritional and hormonal health front. So enjoy this episode with my good friend, Alicia Israel, and we'll see you at the next episode. Hey, Alicia, this is Brandon. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Good to talk to you again. I uh, appreciate I you coming on. Yeah, uh, it's, been a, it's been a minute. And if you guys maybe not see this in the video, but Brandon's beard is fucking fire. Let's just say <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I've got some really good uh, questions here for you today. Um, I know a lot of things have kind of changed from your business model, at least from the very first time that we kind of met. I mean, I know we originally met you were... I think still at Akron for the first time, I think we yeah. met. Um, and then you went through Ohio State and now doing your own thing. So uh, just to kind of touch up on that, I guess, for anybody listening, just kind of explain what got you into health, fitness, strength, conditioning, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and then how, you know, Alicia's barbell came to be what it is today, which is like a very, very impressive uh, online community that you have now. Oh man. Well, <laughs> where to start? No. Uh, I was always in sports, like as a kid, um, and just being strong has always just intrigued me. I always wanted to be strong. Um, and so when I got into college, I gravitated towards the weight room and I was also an ex athlete. So I just love that shit, you know, it gave me something to quote unquote compete in, whether it was myself, um, or even with bodybuilding and powerlifting. So I absolutely loved it. And I loved helping other women learn how to be strong. And that also gravitated into the nutrition side of things because clearly both training and nutrition play such a massive role 
right? You can't just have one without the other. So when I was in, I think, was I still in grad school when I met you? No, I was, I might've been, because I was in Akron. I was in grad school, but I wasn't affiliated with Leo T. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think the first time we met might have been randomly at elite fts but i do remember going to the akron strength and conditioning thing that you guys held you remember that yeah i might have been at ohio state at that time already but i was already i mean i had my previous students at akron so i was the graduate assistant there for fitness and wellness they uh put on events and stuff so i would still go back and like support okay. them that's probably but i mean i was affiliated with elite mts like early into like my professional years right after grad school. So it's like that, that cusp for sure. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just fell in love with training, got into bodybuilding and powerlifting and wanted to help other women learn to do the same things, just building strength, uh, but just also optimal, optimal health. Cause I don't know if anyone here, obviously most of you have competed in some regard, if you're listening to this, you know, especially with bodybuilding, it can fuck your shit up, you know, and that's exactly what it did to me. <laughs> it, it fucked my shit up hormonally, all the things I competed a lot. And I was just one of those driven people that are like, I don't care. I want to, you know, win a show. That's what I want to do. Do whatever it takes kind of mentality. And I did, but, uh, you know, I learned a lot along the way. And I think that's really how my online training business evolved because I was competing throughout grad school, throughout Ohio State when I was the personal training coordinator there. Again, when I met you and I was there for about seven years, I was competing throughout that time. And I was also kind of online coaching on the side. So it wasn't fully like Alicia's Barbell at the time. It was just like side hustle money at the time. But I just slowly realized like, man, a lot of women struggle with hormone issues that are preventing them from actually achieving optimal health let alone the physique, physique goals or, or, you know, competition goals. And it's like, no one knows how to solve this. <laughs> like it's yeah. not just eat less, move more for many women. It's really not. And hormones play a massive role into our ability to achieve a caloric deficit, our ability to build muscle mass, all the things. And so if we ignore that we're doing women such a huge disservice. And I just learned that from my own experience. I'm like, shit. Like trying to get a doctor to look at my labs, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get a doctor to run labs, fuck. Like I had to do everything privately. I finally got to see Serrano uh, when, again, I was noticeably having thyroid issues and I got private labs done. The coach I was working with at the time, Austin Stout, was like, mm, <laughs> we need to see Serrano. And Serrano, you guys may know him on here, but he's a very well-known doctor in Ohio. He's functional-based. He does a lot of Swiss seminars and like he speaks in the physique and powerlifting bodybuilding realm for, you know, he's known because he's, he helps, right. He helps athletes. Yes, yep. He's, he's the shit. So he finally looked, looked at my labs and he was like, Alicia, are you depressed? I'm like, no, but I can see why you might say that if you look at my labs. So it took a, a village to kind of figure out all my shit. And so I've learned a lot by myself along the way and have really gravitating my business now uh, for that, helping women understand deeper physiology, deep, deeper about their hormone health. Uh, since launching my online coaching full-time since 2019 and leaving Ohio State, it's just moving and moving and moving in that direction. Because we noticed the more we learn about this stuff, the more we can bridge the gap between 
coaching and, and medicine, because clearly we can't prescribe, right? We can coach. Um, a lot of times that's what women need. You know, they don't yeah. need another fucking medication. <laughs> you know, they need lifestyle, proactive shit. So bridging the gap there is really what has gravitated my business and helping women specifically with that. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I think with the, the hormone issue, I, I, I don't want to say that people don't, I will say that people don't understand it, especially the average person. They have, they have no idea, but I think most people, like you said, are just kind of the exercise more eat less. And to be honest, they're probably a chunk of people that that is a big problem. They're incredibly sedentary and they don't eat very well. Yeah. That that definitely is kind of like step one, especially if you're not doing those things. But I, I think especially for like your population, my population, anybody that's already active and somewhat eats well, you know, they understand that they need to hit certain protein intake for the day. They need to have some fruit and vegetables in their life. They need to have enough salt and hydration. Those are kind of like basic things to people that are active and compete in our space. But I guess from the hormonal side, especially since you work more with uh, women and females, what's the most common issue that you see on the hormonal front whenever you're onboarding and working with the the ladies that you're working with? Uh, it's, it's one of two. It's either estrogen dominance or PCOS uh, okay. for sure. For sure. And to your point too, like with people who have, again, higher level experience in the gym, they already understand nutrition stuff and shit isn't working. Like this is when to dive into that stuff um, ultimately. But, you know, we're not going to jump into that immediately and use hormones as a crutch. Like, oh, it must be my hormones. And really, you're just eating Pop-Tarts all day. Like, yeah. literally. But for sure, for the women that we see that come through who are problem aware, uh, that do have that hormone consideration, which we confirm in labs, we don't guess and just say, oh, yeah, estrogen dominance. Like, no. yeah. We actually look and see, right? So those are the the two that we see the most often and that we help women with with the most. And that and sluggish thyroid, I hypothyroidism too, um, like subclinical for sure. Gotcha. And you, I guess for anybody listening that doesn't know what that looks like, either from like a a lab perspective or just overall, um, maybe what the symptoms might be that make you want to dive into seeing those issues. Like if, you know, if the, they come to you and you're like, Hey, we're going to run these labs. And those are the issues that they're seeing. What are they probably reporting on the symptom side for you? The thing that's tricky about all of those things is the symptoms can be the same. And this is an example as to why you want to test. Uh, for example, if someone has, maybe they're experiencing fatigue, dry skin, hair loss, irregular periods, heavy periods, um, maybe even spotting, things of that nature, acne, uh, body hair growth, obviously outside of just on your head, like those can all stem from adrenal conditions, thyroid and sex hormones. Like it's not just, oh, must be PCOS. It's like, no, let's look at everything because there's also different types of PCOS. So that's again, why when a woman comes to us, she does a full hormone assessment and metabolic assessment for her lived experience. Like, let's see how you're feeling. And then let's also get the necessary labs associated with how you're feeling. Because sometimes we might want to run blood. Sometimes we might want to run a Dutch test, a GI map. There's different types of testing that we're going to do depending on the lived experience of the person and also what other labs they've had done in the past. So we can collectively use all that data to then identify what's the actual root problem here. So we're not just fishing 
you know, and just yeah. hope you pull something out. Yeah. And I guess once you, you get those, um, there's definitely different interventions, but I guess what are some of the uh, things that you're having women do to help address this, whether it be supplement wise, whether it be what you're training, you're changing nutritionally, uh, habit wise. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different factors that can come in, but I guess for majority of the issues that you see, what are the kind of like interventions that you're using to address those? Yeah, it's, it's largely dependent, um, on what they, what, they obviously exhibit, but also their previous like years of experience. So a lot of times what we find more than anything when it comes to women that we have come through that has some type of hormone dysfunction is the stress component, which no one wants to hear it because it's not sexy. It's not a pill that you can just take. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's not this magical supplement that exists. Usually most of the women that we work with that struggle the most with the hormone side of things have massive amounts of stress or they just don't know how to handle the stress or deal with the stress, like uh, managing it and coping techniques that are healthy. So that's the first thing that we jump on is let's talk about your day-to-day, -day, your stress, your lifestyle, your boundaries. Like what does your plate look like? Especially if you're in a partnership, like what does your plate look like compared to theirs? Yeah. You know, as many women and, you know, and just married couples in general, like they don't always have a healthy dynamic. And for like, you know, if you have a health dynamic in your relationship, like I do, it's hard for us to see that we have to ask, like, what does your day to day look like? If you have a partner, if you have kids, like that type of stress has to be considered because if their stress is through the roof, I don't give a fuck like what nutrition protocol, what RPE you have their training at what supplement you give them, like, it's not going to do anything. And right. it's just going to make them feel more like a failure. So before we even execute some type of <laughs> protocol, we have to understand where their stress is first. And sometimes that's all they really need is just that support from a stress management perspective. Um, and sometimes it's also undoing a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of, uh, you know, self-love issues, body image, like, how you communicate with your partner, like all the things you don't think you'd get. Yeah. From a coach. <laughs> yep. We start there, you know, and then nutrition and training and supplementation can follow that. But until you're showing up in a way in your life that allows capacity space, uh, a level of stress where any of that would even work or a stress reduction you know, what's yeah. possible for us. Like that has to be the number one before you jump into anything else. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's safe to say that I definitely understand that stress. I went and got, I think I briefly talked to you. This was probably like a little over a year ago whenever I was having issues and I went and got my blood work done and yeah, my, my cortisol was through the roof. Everything else was great. My, my yeah. test was good. Everything yeah. was great. Even my doctor was like, your test is this and your, I think at the time I was 33 and he was like, this is incredibly impressive. Like, he didn't think I was drug free. So I was like, I, I promise you, I was like, I've had high testosterone my whole life. You know, arguably why I was successful in powerlifting. I just had naturally high testosterone yeah. levels, but, uh, but my stress and adrenals were just like tanked. Yeah. Like, and he was like, you need a vacation, dude. Like you just need to go away for a week, find a beach and turn your phone off. And you know, at that time I wasn't able to do that, but later that year, we went to Florida for a little bit, but you know, that's kind of what made me and Adrian sit down and start trying to see, 
set boundaries on my end from a work perspective and a, and a relationship perspective, you know, trying to get to sleep a little bit better at a time. So, you know, with owning the gym, I, I can only control so much a little bit, but, um, yeah, it does make a big difference. I mean, as soon as I stopped doing that, my energy levels were better. I can still tell that I have the stress, that stress that's always going to be there to some degree, but I've at least found ways to manage it, you know, still eating well, still exercising, doing the things that make me feel good so that that other stress, when it comes on, it doesn't feel like it's piling to the moon. I at least have a, a, a stratosphere on it, so to speak, to kind of cut it off. And I, I think many people don't understand that at all. When, when to say no, that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit from like a personal perspective. Your Instagram stuff is awesome. So if you're not following Alicia on Instagram, you really need to, because she has not only great content, but the way she presents her content is very digestible. So in terms of saying no, I think you did this maybe even recently. Can you kind of ex- explain on the boundary side what you're trying to, I, I don't want to say achieve is the word I want to say. I guess the message that you're trying to deliver to both ladies first and foremost, but even the guys that would be listening to this? Well, this can happen to any human on earth, but especially women when it comes to people pleasing. And I actually have a podcast episode on this specifically. I forgot what episode it was, but I have a podcast called Be Your Own Daddy. Um, it's essentially designed to help women just find more empowerment financially uh, and independence, but also just mindset as well. But there's a really good episode. I had Hannah Deindorfer on there and she's um, really good with like the psychology of uh, people pleasing and and boundaries and such. So I definitely just scroll through, <laughs> find that one. I can even send it to you, Brian. I can put it in the show okay. if you want, but um, that's a really good one because I interviewed her about it. And ultimately the issue that we run into is like women tend to be people pleasers without knowing it because they've been conditioned to be that way from the get-go and that's normal. And there's a difference. We like to, you know, talk to our clients about, there's a difference between um, like being like helpful and a caring part of the environment, like the group that you're in versus self-betrayal. And a lot of times women feel as if, if they aren't appeasing if they don't uh, take care of everybody else around them at the sacrifice of themselves. If they ever hurt someone's feelings, they have to take ownership of that. And ultimately what this turns into is them constantly worrying about everyone else around them and being extremely hypervigilant and putting everyone's needs above their own at, again, the sacrifice of themselves, which then is turned into, oh, this is a selfless person. And I fucking hate that word because selfless is just another word for self-betrayal. So it's not a, it's just a nicer way to say like, oh, self-abandonment, self-betrayal. And when you're conditioned to believe like that's how you should be to be considered good, like good girl stigma or the good girl uh, philosophy, if you will, uh, how women are raised. And so when you're conditioned like that and you're trying to tell a woman like, okay, like, let me look at your day. Let's see exactly what we can achieve here. And they're giving me a list of shit that they have on their plate that also doesn't have to be on their plate. And so they don't have time for themselves at all, but they have all these health problems coming up. And when they bring this up to their partner, their partner goes, oh, just figure it out on your own. You don't need to pay a coach. You don't need help with that. Like, I mean, just, just do what I do. Like the shit I hear on calls about how their partners completely dismiss their lived experience because they don't live in their shoes and men have a different time 
than women do when it comes to their health goals. That's just the fucking truth. Like, <laughs> it's just a different experience, especially not even considering like a woman with health issues, like hormone stuff. That's a whole different ball game. And so when they all, they already feel as if everything's their responsibility and their partner doesn't take them seriously. And then you have me trying to tell them that they need to open up this space for themselves. Like a lot of times they're just, it's like throwing them up like a 180 because this whole, their whole life they've been taught like, wait, I, I can't take, I can't take care of myself. Like I have to take care of the kid, all this different shit. Like it's selfish for me. I can't put, I can't spend money on myself. I got to spend money on everything else. And I can't, you know, put my health first. Like I have to worry about so-and-so. And so it's a struggle. And I think the key is for women. There's a lot of unlearning we have to do, but for men too, um, and we do see this more in heterosexual relationships. It's just the truth of it. Being more aware of your partner's lived experience is different than yours. And to believe what she says when, if she's struggling, if um, she needs support, then just because you might not understand it yourself, like I've never been through that. I don't understand why she can just like I can just figure it out myself. I can reach my health goals by myself. I can go to the gym. I can do my workouts. I can, that's you. And so it's really not fair to say, well, I can do it. So, so can you, that's not empowering. That's disempowering. Right. And it's okay to have someone help you like who here, most of us, I don't know. I don't like my car sounds fucked up. I ain't fixing that shit myself. I don't know what the fuck's going on with my car. I take it to a mechanic and I'm like, yo, <laughs> it's doing this weird shit. <laughs> Can you fix it for me? Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Fixed. So when we think of our health goals, it is okay for us to say, I need help with this. I'm unsure of how to navigate it. We are not taught how to navigate a lot of these things, especially from a hormone consideration, metabolic consideration. It is okay to have an expert help you so that you get there efficiently and you're supported. So there is a lot there, but I think the biggest thing is unlearning and is recognizing, hmm, there's a difference between caring for others and being selfless slash self-abandoning because you can care for other people and not abandon your own needs. That's the right. thing. If you, yeah. it, caring for, if you are caring for people in your life and you're not abandoning yourself, awesome, sick, keep going. If you're caring for other people and you're continuously self-abandoning, then something is not right. Like that is not balanced. That is not aligned. That is not healthy. Like conversations need to be had somewhere within your environment. Shit has to fix itself, you know? So it's knowing that difference. And then if you are a guy, you know, remembering like having these open conversations with your partner, listening and believing what she says if she needs help. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, I think the, like you said there, they're not mutually exclusive. Like you can, you can help other people, but still take care of yourself and ultimately put, and Adrian says it to me, great that, you know, if you take care of yourself first and you're giving your best self, then when you go to help those other people, that is magnified of when you go to help those people and, and do what you need to do for them. But if you're always putting, you know, your own shitty foot, forward to yourself that shitty foot forward is going to go towards everybody else and you're not doing that as optimally as you possibly could so it's a win-win for everybody at the end of the day but it just does take that that nudge that you can do something for yourself that's completely okay so. yeah 100 percent. and sometimes it just requires like this might be the first conversation they've had about it so like when they work with either myself or my coaches we might be the first people that call this out ever in their yeah. life. And so 
we have to recognize that like it's it's a lot of unlearning to do which it can be powerful right um so i think just being patient as well and understanding where someone comes from and just meeting them where they're at but ultimately that's the thing like man when people are stressed out like you said like your adrenals are like through the roof um i'm surprised it didn't like downstream and other shit in your labs because usually it does like usually yeah. if your adrenals are fucked then that's that could be why women's progesterone is low like so you can't just look at one hormone by itself you know you have to look at everything so it's like yeah you know it's it's just such a comprehensive conversation yeah i think um there is ironically left this makes me think of there's a mom that we had in our facility this was probably a month maybe two ago but anyways she has like six kids seven kids it's a lot and we're talking (laughs) from eighth grade all the way to six months so we're kind of like a big range um dad is a cancer doctor he's the only one that works so they're they're pretty well off financially but Mm -hmm. when i met with her to talk about their oldest son getting started with us she i have at least i've never seen somebody so stressed out of their mind like she she couldn't sit still she she was like jittery she was just like constantly anxious that she had to be doing something and you know she was answering the phone call for like three different kids within 20 minutes and they're all at the same house and you know i'm trying to talk to her about the results with her her kid during her his assessment process and it was just like i saw that and i was just like i it it almost made me stressed like i wanted to like shake her and be like you just need to go sit outside by yourself without a phone and just take some deep breaths and get some sunshine and do what it is and i I did tell her one time i was like you really just need to just do something for yourself i was like when you bring your kid here if you don't have the other kids with you just go sit outside and just chill and literally one day she was sitting outside in a chair she brought like a folding chair and was sitting outside in the sunshine. I was like, I don't know if I'm making any major difference here, but <laughs> maybe I got her to understand that, hey, when you bring your kid here, use that 60 minutes to just veg out because you probably aren't going to get it a whole lot with seven kids. Like, it, it, you know, you're going to have to do some real proactive work here. But it was just like, you're one of the first people I thought about. I talked to Adrian about it too. And I was like, I have never seen anybody so stressed, like visibly it was just bad. I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of people when you, when you talk to them, you get those vibes, but like, Oh, I just reason to not have seven kids in my opinion, but <laughs> you know, to each their own. Yeah, for sure. And you might be like me. I feel like if I'm, I just take, I, I can very easily take on the energy of people around me. Um, and I definitely get, I'm like one of those people where I can go in a room with someone and before even talking to them, uh, like based on their energy, I know instantly I'm like, if they're a good person or not, I'm just like, Ooh, I got a vibe about this person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'm definitely one of those. Uh, and so I could only imagine, um, if, if I was around her, but you know what, she's <laughs> doing her best. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I want to kind of pivot back to some of the, the direct women's health here. Um, it's definitely a taboo subject at least. I would say if you go to try to talk to somebody else outside of like health coach or health specialist like yourself, it's leasing taboo. Definitely not to like you or me or, you know, Adrian or whatnot, but um, let's talk a little bit about women's menstrual cycles and birth control. So I I know personally you've had uh, on your Instagram and your story about how you came off birth control and how that was giving you issues, I guess. So 
talk a little bit about that. You know, it doesn't have to be in a super crazy details, but you know, ultimately what drove you to come off of it. And, you know, if you have any suggestion or tips for the ladies that are happened to be on birth control for them to how that help them decide, I guess, whether they should stay on, whether they should come off, whether they should look at alternate alternatives, I guess, you know, kind of elaborate a little bit there on birth control and the menstrual cycle. Yeah. Oh, this is a big one. And the, the truth is like our, like my generation, like millennial ish, we're the first generation to really have been put on birth control for long periods of time, maybe a little bit of the generation before us, but, uh, definitely us for sure. It's definitely a millennial, um, woman issue. And by long-term, I mean, like being on birth control for more than four years at a time is actually considered long-term. And a lot of women listening to this might be like, Oh, I've definitely been a lot longer, longer than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my personal experience with, with birth control was I was on it for a period of time. God, when I was like early twenties, uh, mainly just again, I had acne and my doctor was like, Oh, let's just go on birth control and fix your acne. Did it fix my acne? Yes. Uh, obviously I didn't know the repercussions or kind of what birth control actually does when you go on at the time. So I thought it was great. I'm like sick. Like I don't have super short periods. My, my skin has never looked better at the time. I didn't have any like consequences from it. Like there in the moment, right. Every woman's experience is different. Uh, but when I started competing, the coach at the time told me, Hey, get off birth control. It's not good for you when you compete. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> like that's, I don't know when you come off or go on something, it should be a mix between having more of like a functional approach with a practitioner doctor, like everyone should be intertwined. And by all means, this coach was not <laughs> well-versed in functional health. It was just kind of, Oh, it just, you know, just come off of it. You'll get leaner if you do. Like that's a really like broad statement. Very blanket. Yeah. <laughs> like let's just throw that out there. So I did and I was competing, competing, competing. And I lost my cycle during my competitions, et cetera, et cetera. Cause I actually had my cycle at the time. And then after one of my shows, I think it might've been like 2000, oh God, 14. I'm not really sure which year it was. I started having really bad symptoms after a show. Like when my period started to come back, it was atrocious. I was, I remember driving home one day from Ohio state and I had this lower abdominal, just extreme pain. Like someone was stabbing me in the abdomen. I went to the urgent care. Cause I was like, what the fuck is my appendix bursting my spleen, my kidney. I don't know where the shit is. Like, <laughs> like yeah. something is wrong. And I go, I'm like bent over, bawling, screaming. And I get in the office eventually with the urgent care doctor. And he was like, oh, it's probably just a bursting cyst. I'm like, hmm, what? Just super nonchalant. You'll be fine. Here's my ibuprofen. I'm like, okay. That felt like a lot more than ibuprofen. But it's really weird. It was like there for like 20 minutes and it completely goes away. Uh, and it was fine. But that happened every month. I would have this fucking episode which I later learned it was from like a follicle, like bursting or some shit. I don't know. And so <laughs> I went to my GYN, explained these issues. Oh, just go on birth control. You'll be fine. So she put me back on birth control and my symptoms went away, obviously. And that's because when you go on birth control, you don't ovulate anymore. It shuts off your hormones. Um, so essentially your natural endogenous hormone production is no longer 
doing its thing. Um, so you no longer ovulate. And so that's how birth control works to prevent pregnancy. But it also takes away a lot of symptoms because clearly if your hormones aren't fluctuating, if you're not ovulating, there's no symptoms to be had. So yeah. it worked for me, like, you know, what I thought. And then I competed again, <laughs> stayed on birth control, all these different things. So even when it was like 2021, I was like, I got to come off this shit. Like at that point, I fucking knew I'd been on this stuff on and off since I was 19. Like, and I was in my thirties at the time. I was like, this isn't going to be good. I have to come off of this. So I eventually officially came off, I think in 2021 and it fucking rocked me. Cause what was happening was birth control was, was just masking the hormone shit that had been going on when I was competing that I was never able to address because when hormones thrown on top of that shit, you can't see what the problem is because it's going to shut down your normal production. So I couldn't fix anything. I couldn't like address any of the issues that were actually happening and heal and just allow my body to regain a natural cycle, a normal cycle. I never gave it the fucking time. I just threw birth control back on it, you know, um, cause I was having cyst burst and that fucking sucked. So all my symptoms came back and my hair shed. I lost a shit ton of hair. Cause that also can happen coming off birth control, um, an androgen rebound. And then just cyst stuff came back, uh, ovulation pain, um, all the things I, it was a shit show for like a year, but I had to take the time to like, I have to heal. I have to, I have to deal with this. So I had to do a lot with my nutrition, my stress supplementation. Um, and I just go through it. I just had to go through it. And it took a while for me to be like symptom free. My hair stopped shedding, like <laughs> all the things it took a while. And now my period's very normal to the beat. Symptoms don't have them. Like my PMS is extremely chill. I wouldn't even call it PMS. It's like a cramp a little bit. Whoop-de-do. But like it took a while. It's what 2023 now. Like it took about a year to feel more normal. And then the following year, 2022, and this year to feel like, oh, this is like what a period's supposed to feel like. Yeah. It took a while, but I was like, fuck. Like that could have been mitigated back in what 20 what 15 2014 whenever i can whenever i was prone birth control like initially with my gyn if i would have done back then what i started doing in 2021 like it a probably would have been healed faster because i didn't slap some exogenous hormones on that yeah. shit to fuck up myself even more but i could have fixed that shit in six months you know and i feel like that's what the struggle is with with women that come to us you know like coming off a of birth control, I wouldn't say everyone has, like, there's a time and a place. Like there are some situations where birth control is absolutely a godsend for, for women, especially obviously like reproductive control, 110% live your best life. <laughs> yeah. No, but when we use birth control as a way to, to, oh, here, use this for acne. Oh, bad periods when you're 14, here's birth control. Fucking Christ. Are you serious? Like, how about instead of giving a 14 year old a, a fucking HRT? Cause that's what it yeah. is. <laughs> Let's uh, do a panel and actually see why maybe she has early onset PCOS. Cool. An early diagnosis can help us treat that. Like, why would we not do that sooner versus putting birth control on her? And then 25 years old, you know, over 10 years later, she tries to come off of it and then gets diagnosed with PCOS when she has all these symptoms that have just been like getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Oh, now she's infertile. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's just a fucking snowball. 
effect with it. Cause you know, in Western med, we've used it as a bandaid when it's not supposed to be used like that. And there are so many things that women can do from a natural perspective, lifestyle perspective, supplementation over the counter perspective that can be done to help them hormonally, uh, that we can't do with birth controls there. And so like if a woman comes to us and she wants to come off of it, do we help her do that? Yes. We have protocols to help women come off of it, but we also make sure like, does your practitioner know, are you good with this? These are like, again, we will help you through it. These are some things to be aware of that um, can happen coming off birth control and just supporting them the best way that we can, because every woman's experience coming off of it's different. You know, some women come off and it's like nothing, nothing happened. And I'm like, sick, I'm happy for you. And then for a majority of women, there's some type of thing that pops up. They're like, oh, fuck. I didn't know I would, my hair would shed like crazy. Yeah. And that would have been good to know when I went on it, that I would never have thick hair again. Sick. Like, you know, yeah. so I think there's just needs to be more of like, like just educated awareness and communication between practitioners and women of like, cool, we can use birth control for X, Y, Z, but these are the symptoms. These are the things that can happen when you come off of it. But there's that conversation isn't happening. It's just, oh, here, take the pill by. And yes. women are going into it without any awareness as to like what can happen long-term. There's all, oh, it's perfectly safe to the rest of your life. And it's like, what? Like, okay. I don't know. It's just really lazily prescribed. And then women are having issues long-term, which then come to us. And it's just this thing we have to undo, which we do, but it's like, I wish women didn't have to do that in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I think that's the problem that even that we see, even with some of the young females that we have is that when they start to have, like you said, acne or different kind of uh, menstrual pains or anything like that, that seems to be like, they they'll say like you know I I need to get on the pill or you know I I wish my parents would take this and it's like you know, that's not exactly the the best approach or if we do an initial onset and then you know obviously asking for medications that the kids are taking and if they're on a form of birth control then you know that's another thing that like we notice and like man at fourteen fifteen like I I don't. I, I'm, you know, I, I want to ask why you're on it, but at the end of the day, like it's really none of my business, as much as especially as long as it's not. You know, if they're taking it for a major health re reason, then it could be of importance. But generally speaking, it's not going to affect the way that I'm going to write the training program. But you know, it, it still is mind-boggling to me that that many young kids are at least getting put on it at such an early age, rather than like you said, trying to be proactive and figure out what's going on at the end of the day and I, i'm going to assume that you know obviously the teenagers don't know and i mean that that makes sense like right, at 14 right. at 14 i don't genuinely think they even understand the phases of the menstrual cycle and how ovulation works and like i, I generally don't think they understand that so you know I, I think that's that's a whole different conversation is you know are young teenage girls getting the health knowledge about their their cycles and women's health in high school like they should so when they graduate and they move on with the rest of their life they understand how that works i don't think they're getting that I, i'm curious your input on that but also i think the parents also don't know either no, no. <laughs> and the thing is it sucks because they how would they a doctor is supposed to tell you that shit but the yeah. thing is they're not and so that's that's why I advocate for everyone just to try to find a more functional based physician 
And you can also use them virtually. You don't have to find someone in your area. Like, you know, we have a virtual doctor that we refer some of our clients to that she just does sessions over Zoom and she can prescribe like all the things and she's functional based because man, like we just don't know. And like, what the fuck? Like parents aren't doctors. Like how are they supposed to, to know that, especially the kid? So there's just a lack of conversations around what does birth control actually actually do to a woman's cycle? What are the, like, what are the consequences of being out for a long time? And uh, ultimately, like, you know, is the, is the woman aware? Is she open to that? Like, is she okay with X, Y, and Z possibly happening when she tries to come off of it? But, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it it would just be so (laughs) wishful thinking. It'd just be so dope. (laughs) If, you know, parents and doctors could just work better together. And man, if a young girl is having, you know, weird period symptoms, also, let's just be clear, a part of the early onsets of puberty, it's supposed to be fucking weird. Okay. Like, let's just say that, like, it's supposed to be abnormal because they're in puberty. Like, duh, you know, it would be weird if a woman met, like she just got her period and magically had perfect periods forever. Like, that's just not how puberty works. But I understand we don't want women to uh, young girls to to feel like shit like right. at all. But if a young girl is feeling like that, I wish the parents and doctors would work together. Just pull some labs and actually see how can we address what's going on with them a little bit more homeopathically, a little bit more naturally. Because there's there's so many things we can do with the hormone side of things. Like most of the women we work with do not need meds, and it's just like crazy as to like. And they're, they're even like, oh, fuck. Like, I didn't realize, like, I could feel better with these tweaks in nutrition and, and training and a few supplements. And now I don't have symptoms anymore. Like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> and they're mind blown. And it's like, so why aren't we doing that with younger girls? Like, it's the same thing. We can just look at labs and be like, okay, here, here, here. You know, this is what we got to do versus just putting birth control on it. And then if there's something that has been like, fucking stemming under the surface that pops up in their 20s when they come off of it like let's deal with it early and just mitigate the whole thing versus putting a band-aid on it yeah i i think one other issue too is that especially for the the teenage girls you know more of the population that i'm seeing is that you shouldn't have i wouldn't say you shouldn't have a a painful period but they it's almost like they're thought to believe that it should be like just another walk in the park day. Like there shouldn't be any other normal symptoms with a period. There's going to be, you know, like you said, there, there could be a little bit of PMS, but again, it shouldn't be exorbitant necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there shouldn't, you should have certain cravings during certain times of the month, both from a, from a sexual perspective and from a, um, a nutrition perspective, you know, your body's going to crave, salt or sweet things during certain times of your of your period so i i don't think that there's also like said that's an education i think there's not they start having these issues and they think that that's weird and it's not normal when there's normal things that are supposed to be happening because it's just general biology of you know procreation so like that's just the way that it works i guess and from the from the phases of the period i guess can you kind of talk about that from a menstrual cycle perspective of hormonally and in a normal cycle, what should be happening to, you know, LH and progesterone and things like that. Yeah. 
So we can kind of relate this back to blood work uh, because this is how we explain it to our clients that we work with. So when we're looking at the different uh, <clears throat> phases of your cycle, follicular, obviously ovulation and luteal phase, um, when we're looking at that, depending on a woman's experience, we want to get labs tested at a certain time if possible. Now, if a, a woman's cycle is completely irregular, it's really challenging to know what phase she's in because um, it could be different depending on each month. Um, and also she could not be ovulating at all, which that also plays a role as well. So for us, if we are looking into a woman specifically, maybe she's presenting a lot of PCOS symptoms, but hasn't been diagnosed. What we actually want to look at is earlier in the follicular phase, between days one and three, we want to look at the relationship between LH and FSH. Those two hormones specifically will help us identify if they're ovulating um, healthfully or not. And so if we see LH is skyrocketed, um, typically three times that of FSH, sometimes two is like not even, you know, the best, but three times out of FSH, we can notice like, mm, that's indicative of PCOS. And we can have that, give that to their doctor and they can get some further testing to officially be diagnosed. Um, that's a huge indicator of if PCOS is present and in a woman, and if obviously ovulation is not happening. Um, so that that's the first piece is we can look at that lab. Um, also, if we're trying to, you know, if we see in our hormone assessment, if we're seeing a woman is presenting symptoms with like the estrogen dominant side of things, we might want to look at the cycle more in the luteal phase between days 19 and 22, specifically because that is when you will see the progesterone rise um, comparatively into estrogen. And so that ratio will tell us, is she producing a healthy amount of progesterone to again, ovulate the next cycle, but then also the relationship to estrogen compared to that, because we can't look at estrogen or progesterone by itself. That's the thing. A lot of times I will get labs from uh, clients and their doctors ran just estrogen, just estradiol. I'm like, cool. And progesterone, like what's, what's happening? Like, <laughs> like, cause this tells me nothing. Like what days, what day were you in your cycle? Um, where's progesterone at? And if we don't know that, then it's just getting like one chapter of the book. It's like, well, I need the rest of the book. Yeah. You know? And so if we can see that the ratio of estrogen to progesterone is off, then we can identify if someone has estrogen dominance because their estrogen is too high comparatively to progesterone or progesterone is too low comparatively to estrogen or even both. Um, so then we can identify what we actually need to address because estrogen dominance is kind of like this broad brush of, you know, um, what it could be, but ultimately we have to see both because are we going to address the low progesterone or are we going to address the high estrogen or are we going to address both? You know? Um, so we have to look at both in conjunction, but we do want to see that in the luteal phase. Again, this is why it's so important to know what day of your cycle you're getting tested. And again, if you don't know, we usually get labs again, we'll just run it again so we can see it or else we're just guessing, you know? Um, but also too, on, on the note of that, it depends on who's reading their labs, right? Like I can look at someone's labs and, <laughs> and have a completely different opinion than like a Western med doc, you know, cause they look at ranges. Whereas yeah. I look at like optimal health, like on this day of your cycle, <laughs> fasted in the morning, like all the different things, what should be optimal at this time, you know, and that's what a functional approach is going to look like. And the reason we look at optimal is because in range, just because your estrogen, progesterone, all that bullshit cortisol is in range doesn't mean it's actually optimal for that time 
of your cycle for that time of day, um, fasted, non-fasted, we have to look at all of that uh, so we can see it. So, because again, with the ranges, those are based on our society as a whole. And I don't know if anyone noticed, but our society is fucking unhealthy. And the ranges keep changing over time. Like testosterone is a really good one. Testosterone has changed like what has considered in range for men. Like you might know the exact numbers on it, um, but I know that's a big one where testosterone normal keeps decreasing yep. as, as men, you know, as time goes on. And so what used to be normal testosterone in the fifties is now considered high testosterone for most men. Um, and so when those ranges are coming down, we're setting our standard compared to an extremely unhealthy population. And I personally don't think that's the standard I want to hold women to or men to, because it's not, it's not about health. It's about sickness. You know, healthcare isn't healthcare. It's sick care. Yeah. So I'm sure you can speak on like the testosterone piece. Cause I mean, you said your testosterone was high, but is it really high or is it just really fucking good? And it was, I would say it's probably, well, they said it was high, but it was like, I, this was obviously like a year and a half ago. This was like, uh, I think it was like 875 or 876, somewhere around there. Oh, that's fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, really good. I, a lot of, yeah. Especially as a, like a natural athlete, like, yeah. And you know, a lot of my guy friends, they're in the thousands. Fuck yeah. it. that's how but also too it's how you live optimally right like how you feel in the 800s could be different than someone else and so everyone's experience with what's optimal for them is different but i can fucking sure you know attest to that any man who has a test level of 400 something does not feel good yeah and the fact that like a lot of men live in that range and they still don't get treated for hrt or insurance like the doctors oh it's not low enough what the fuck old man like is it going to be a hundred? Like, yeah, yeah. I, there's, there's actually somebody that, um, they've since moved, uh, for job purposes, but he used to train with us and he's was younger than I am. This was, I don't know. He was, he was in his high twenties and he tested in like the low three hundreds. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't understand how you come in here and train the way you do and even remotely feel like doing anything. That's, 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 has to off to you for just getting your butt in here and actually getting it done regardless. But I was like, you definitely need to see somebody because that is not normal. No, not at all. And yeah, so we have to look at ranges, the grain of salt. And so having someone look at your labs from a more optimal lens, because optimal is going to mean, okay, this isn't just preventing sickness. They're not just addressing sickness. It's preventing anything from moving forward towards sickness. It's more proactive. So if we can get someone closer to their optimal to the optimal place in their labs, that is keeping them so far away from chronic illness. And that's where we should be. We shouldn't yeah. be on the fucking doorstep of diabetes before we do something. And that's honestly what, what master Western med does is they don't treat until there's something to treat. And yes. in my opinion, that's bullshit. Well, that's how they stay in business. So I guess, you know, good yes. business, model, I guess for them, but <laughs> where we come in is, you know, let's look at it before it ever gets to that. And so we never got to go down that road. And that requires us looking at actual optimal markers and not in range and also how other hormones are falling compared to each other. So like I, like I mentioned to estrogen, progesterone, uh, but also they all relate to each other. So we have to not just look at one by itself, but we have to look at them together. So that is also a part, a part of optimal, uh, markers is not just looking at it by itself, but okay, cool. This one looks quote unquote, good by itself, but how does it look compared to other hormones like that are showing up in the labs? Right. And I think being proactive, 
when people talk to me about blood work or anything else, um, you know, I usually tell them, ask your doctor if, if they will run a panel and if they will, what all are they, you know, your insurance may dictate how much you can or can't run, but ask how much they're willing to run to get a scope. You know, you ideally want a lot of different things. If they're only going to look at, you know, your testing, your estrogen and, I don't know, say one or two other things that's probably not really worth your time. You know, you yeah. probably just need to go independent wise, but regardless from a proactive standpoint, you need to almost treat it like when you go to the dentist, you know, most people go to the dentist once to twice a year, your blood work should yeah. be done probably once to twice a year to keep up because one, you'll see trends. And if you're taking interventions, then you might have to test more. But if let's, let's say you're quote unquote healthy, everything's within good quality, normal ranges when you do that every six to 12 months you can begin to test trends especially as you age you know you yeah. like i should expect to see my testosterone drop a little bit over time that's just going to happen but i shouldn't expect to see it go from 875 to 425 in a year exactly that, that would be a way to catch something way sooner than you know like oh i'm feeling tired yeah that might happen for maybe a couple of weeks but if it's six months and you test and then there's obviously an issue now you have reason to believe why that is um, i guess from an independent standpoint where do you send people i know where i've kind of gone i've used i think two different places but where, you know where do you recommend people go and then from even male and female what are the key things that you like to see have tested regardless of what symptoms are kind of like what are the take-home hormones that should be on your panel yeah, I can even send you the panel that I recommend for most people because it's a affordable um, and it's you can get it basically in any state, um, I think, except for like Maryland or something like a weird state with blood work, blood work. But um, so I love life extension. I think it's really um, pretty standard. Uh, I've used uh, there's another one that I've used a long time ago. So I'm so I've used direct labs and quest. Another one used to do, I, I did think one from Quest. What was the other one I've done? I forget. Um, I usually just stick to life extension now. Um, but I also, um, and I use a, actually an HR clinic to run GI maps and Dutches because they can get it a little bit cheaper. Uh, and then you're also set up with them as a patient. And so you can, if there's ever like medications that are needed, you can get virtual sessions and stuff like that too, and get medication from them. So Either way, I love life extension for blood. It's pretty straightforward and easy and cheaper. Um, so typically, what I recommend for women, well, we typically get a standard. Um, I would say cross the board no matter what. I would say definitely estrogen progesterone relationship, definitely a full thyroid panel because a lot of doctors will only run TSH. And I'm like, seriously, fucking Christ. Um, so TSH, T, like free T4, free T3, reverse T3, um, minimum getting those things to actually see what the thyroid looks like. Um, cortisol for sure. Uh, definitely vitamin D ferritin for iron absorption, but also, um, fasted insulin is a big one. And a lot of doctors do not test for fasted insulin. They just test A1C. They just test, you know, glucose and fasted insulin is absolutely a precursor. Like that's going to fucking skyrocket before your blood sugar ever will. Like, you know, and so if we can see that, okay, that's, getting pretty high or even higher end of optimal, we want to know that. Like if someone's insulin's a fast as a fucking 10, like, okay, if they go to their, you know, actual doctor, their doctor's not going to do anything. Oh, yeah. you know, cause their A1C and their blood sugar is probably still fine. And it's like, but 
but let's get that to a six. How about that? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's get that a little bit in more optimal range, you know? And so we can see things early. And I think that's really important. Um, let's see. I mean, those are honestly some of my, some of my favorites to run. Um, obviously like you'll get like the basic CMP and things of that nature, which are helpful, obviously. But I think the fast insulin is definitely one that just never gets tested. And then a full thyroid panel never gets fucking tested or they'll test estrogen without progesterone. And clearly you want to see tests like test for women is very important. If a woman's testosterone is low, uh, also free test, they might have low energy. They're going to have low libido, like brain fog, like feel like shit in the gym. So clearly, you know, we want to test for that as well, but I would say, you know, definitely a lot of doctors don't run tests. They don't run progesterone. They'll just do estrogen or something. And then they don't run a full thyroid panel and they don't do cortisol and they typically don't do fasted insulin. Um, those, so those are typically the ones we definitely want to add in to what they've already gotten. Gotcha. And I guess, um, from a hormone perspective, when, when they're doing this, I think one people, if you've never done an, an independent one, um, they, they do obviously cost more than going through a healthcare provider, but the, the really nice thing, the one thing that I like is that, <laughs> excuse me, you get them in your, in your email, you literally just have to go to, I, I want to call it a satellite location, but you know, you don't have to actually go to your doctor to get the blood drawn. And I, I don't know about in, probably in your case, uh, considering we're obviously proactive, but like if I take it to my doctor they actually keep it electronically. Like I can yep. send it to them and they keep it. And then yep. they can also use that to help determine if you need something. So I, I think, you know, if you're, if you have a good relationship with your medical professional and they're not an ass, they're probably going to work with you versus against you. And they just understand that sometimes their hands are tied based upon your health insurance and, you know, what they can actually do within their office and what all they can run. But if you're a little bit proactive, then if they see issues, then they can help make those decisions and get you if you need medications or talk like my doctor talked to me about, you know, healthy, healthy living and nutrition when he saw my cortisol and all that stuff. And, you know, making sure that I'm doing other stuff to reduce my cortisol rather than just saying, Oh, you know, I wish I had a pill for this that you could take. I mean, I'm sure there probably is something he could have gave me, but you know, he didn't do that. He had a genuine conversation with me about it and how I could improve things. And that's ideally the type of doctor, that you want to be around. You don't want to find somebody that's just Joe blow and literally just signs a script and sends you on your way. That's probably not a good professional to work with. Yeah. And you know what, even with the lab pieces of the price in terms of getting it privately versus getting it through your doctor, you'd be surprised, man. I've paid more getting it through uh, my doctor than I do by myself. Uh, Cause doctors can charge whatever they want for that shit. And so by the time your insurance kicks in, you'd be surprised. So, but also too, sometimes insurance companies will cover all of it, depending on the insurance that you have. However, I always tell people, I'm like, okay, so even if your insurance covers all the labs, but your doctor isn't willing to run what's actually necessary, still like people have this resistance around like, oh, I'm just not going to get them then. I'm just going to get them private. Like, I, they get so obsessed with what their insurance can cover or not. And it's like, it's almost like weaving the web of insurance and sick care of like, this is what's also keeping you sick is being dependent on what your insurance's boundaries are. And ultimately that that's, we have to be an advocate and be responsible for our own health. And I'm not, I like the insurance companies fucking blow ass. Like I, 
Yeah. I'm so anti-insurance. It's like ridiculous. I hate everything about insurance. And there was a thing of a recent podcast episode where Joe Rogan had a guy on, Oh God, what was it? I saw yesterday, but he used to work for, um, I believe a pharmaceutical insurance company, something, something. And he was going in through like all the ins and outs of the reality. And look, we know like it's, it's, it's a fucking corrupt. Yep. Business. We it's, know that but when he went into it, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> even more than I thought. So I would just advocate like, don't it, it, don't use your insurance as a crutch to not get labs done. You know, get them done privately. Shut out a couple hundred bucks once a year. Like it's not going to be this massive investment. A couple hundred dollars, and I'm saying less than three hundred a year to be proactive about your health is far better investment than waiting until something fucking happens. Yes, and then you'll be spending a lot. So like, don't don't, don't come at me with I can't afford um, private labs. Like you can't afford to get sick. All right. right. You can't afford to get sick. So just get them privately, take it into your own hands. And like you, like you do, I just show up to Serrano's office with the labs I got every year. Cause it's cheaper for me to get them by myself than it is when he runs it to LabCorp and it's easy. I just fucking print that shit out, go to LabCorp, take my blood, get an email results, print it out. Here's Serrano puts it in my, puts it in my folder. Yep. Like not hard. Yep. And then the, that kind of leads me to my last thing. You kind of briefly touched on it in terms of the the price stuff here let's just i'm 100 agree with you that if you need nutrition or coaching help you should find a way to be able to afford it now i'm not saying you have to go out and hire the most expensive professional out there there's obviously some people that definitely overcharge and there's definitely people that undercharge sure um you know you, you you need to find a good what i would want to say like a good value professional like they're they're charging what they're legitimately worth, but they're not trying to scam you out the money, but they're also not literally somebody that just went and got a certification overnight and jumped into the space and started charging, you know, $70 a month for coaching. So, you know, from a business and coaching perspective, I guess one, if, if outside of, I mean, I recommend Alicia to people, so that's who I would go to, but hypothetically speaking, if Alicia, even if you're a guy or whatever, in, in terms of the online space, if you're trying to find a coach or a specialist in the online space, what does Alicia recommend for people to look for if you're going that route to hire somebody? Oh man. Well, I would say this industry is goddamn exploded. So I would absolutely find someone that's niched for what you're looking for because they exist, right? Like the few years of online coaching and just the space in general is it's extremely competitive, which is a good thing for the customer. It's a good thing because market sophistication has increased so much that while there still is a lot of bullshit in the social media world, Instagram world, uh, it's also far more competitive because there are, um, again, people in the space who have niched really, really well and who are amazing coaches and have amazing services. So I think the first thing I would do is A, really try to isolate like what is the problem you're trying to solve within yourself like being problem aware and finding someone that solves that specific problem uh versus cookie cutter shit stay away from that because again having someone that solves your problem is going to help you so much like longer term than having um some generic like app workout shit with like everyone does these macros and all this weird stuff yep. so find someone that's you know a credible um again 
has more of that niche. And then I would, this is one thing, do not pay attention to how many followers someone has. Fucking God. <laughs> like follower count does not mean someone is good. All right. So I would just, again, it's sometimes alluring to like, oh, I'd work with this person. So many followers. It must be so great. I'm like, actually a lot of times the opposite. So don't look at that. I mean, they could have a lot of followers and be amazing, um, but they could also have a lot of followers and be complete shit. So don't use our ego to make decisions, right? Trying to work yeah. with like, this, oh, top, top tier team. Da, 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 da. I'm like, ah. <laughs> okay. So don't, don't do that. Don't make your decision off of that. But also ask people they've worked with. If they are a reputable company, I guarantee they have testimonials. I guarantee you can find people that have actually worked with them. Get it from the horse's mouth. I personally would never hire anyone where I didn't talk to their actual clients. Never in the history of time have I ever done that. I've always talked to people they've worked with. I've always been referred to someone specifically. So like maybe y'all are some this and you're not quite sure. Like ask me, I'll tell you who's fucking dope in the space and I'll tell you who's not, you know, I'm brand. I'm sure you'll be the same. You know, I'm honest about yeah. that, about, you know, sending people to reputable coaches. So I would just make sure you're getting refers right? Like people are actually telling you this person's legit, whether they work with them in the past or they know them from a, like, like a close coaching perspective. Like we, we know what coaches are, are great in this space and we know which ones aren't. Um, so get a referral. Don't just willy nilly give someone your money when you have no context of the truth, because Instagram is not the truth, right? Like it's, it's really not. Um, so that'd be the few things is get someone niche and they, they clearly have an expertise in this thing. It's very fucking clear. Um, they have education behind it. They have history of, of being in business, helping people and you get a referral straight from someone's mouth. Um, and obviously not going off of their, their following and, and shit like fancy at, you know, whatever it is. Um, some of the best coaches I know are not fancy. Like their, <laughs> their content is so just cute and precious. Yep. It's just, it's just good education, but it's not fancy. It's not this crazy editing and all the things is, you know what they're doing? They're spending more time fucking helping people than they are making this yes. video fancy. Yep. Like, you know, and honestly, like guys, I have a VA that makes my shit look nice. I will fucking tell you, I don't do that. I don't have time. I don't have time to make stuff look pretty. So if it looks pretty, it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me that did it. Um, so anyway, um, those are, that's the advice that I have. Yeah, I I 100% agree with one the, the the following thing. I mean that honestly with the way social media is like as long as you can be trendy and you know maybe look good with less clothes on or have big numbers, you know, in the powerlifting space or if you're a physique athlete, if you're got the the genetic freaks athlete, you know, the genetics to make your freaky athlete and you don't have to work as hard as everybody else. Cause those, those people are out there. I mean, they won't, they won't admit it, but they will. Um, you know, that's easier to follow those people and assume that they're really good. But what I like about the people that aren't those genetically don't have huge followers. Like you said, one, they're probably busy helping other people. So they don't have nearly the time to try to grow any kind of a massive following. But number two, if they don't have those genetics, they've had to think, really hard about how to get results, which is somebody you want in your corner. A thousand just, you just got the genetic person. They're just going to do what they did. And guess what? Since they were the elite, that means it's going to work for the one or 2% that roll through that are the elite, but the other ones that aren't, you know, it's not going to work. And then they're going to have to sit down and figure out, well, why aren't you getting results? You're not doing what I said. That's just, they, they, they don't program for, or 
right nutrition for the law of averages of the average person that's actually coming through their doors um, from a from a clientele perspective. And I think that's the hardest part in the space is understanding that one, no two people are the same. So that's why the cookie cutter bullshit's got to come out. You can certainly have templates to guide you which way you're going to go, but then you need to go in and edit the way those look like. I mean, as a business owner, I know, you know, you've got to have templates to how to do stuff. It's the most time efficient to do that. If you had to literally write out a word document for every single person for completely from scratch, that's a lot of briefing time. It's also really inefficient. Um, use yeah. of, uh, like resources that we have now with tech. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, yeah. we can cut down on some of our actual work time, which then can ultimately let us help and influence more people, but also make the rates more affordable to where again, you're not having to literally do it from scratch. So there's, that I'm sure you're probably the same way when you started doing stuff as a side gig. Cause that's how I got started. I think that's how a lot of people truly get started before they truly move to full time. That's kind of the last thing I want to talk to you about is from say somebody in here is listening and they do some kind of remote or distance coaching as like, as like what we did, it was a side gig. Yeah. And now they want to take it to they're like, Hey, I really like what I'm doing. I want to make this my full time gig. I want to leave my job. I want to have a little bit more, freedom, flexibility in life, impact more people meaningfully versus what they could be currently doing. I guess what tips and tricks, suggestions do you have for anybody that's in that part-time space wanting to make it full-time? Oh, God. <laughs> I think if you are a good coach, you'll you'll figure it out, honestly. Like, ta- like skill, man, if you, are, if you are highly skilled, like it will happen. Right. Um, but for those that I feel that want to leave their full-time job to do this part-time or do this full-time, because a lot of times there's this, uh, allure essentially from a social media as well, that online coaching is easy and that you can't work from home and you can just flip your own hours and it's so flexible and make all this money. And da, da, da. there's a lot of that. And while is that possible? Yes, but it's not easy. And I think that's the thing. It's, you know, there's a lot of work and you can attest to, there's a lot of fucking work that goes into this shit. (laughs) And so when there's this entitlement, uh, like energy about, um, wanting to, to, you know, do this full time that when things get hard, I'll notice that's when, you know, coaches start to like, be like, Oh, what, what? And, And I, I've, I've helped, uh, business coaches in the past um as well which i don't do anymore <laughs> for a reason <laughs> i just couldn't i couldn't handle um the entitlement aspect of it but and you probably know too like when you bust your ass and then you finally like build your thing and you're doing it and then someone wants to achieve the same thing in 6 weeks you're like Mm-mm. yep no no right. no fam nope that's that's not what we're going to do here so i think just going into it like if you truly want to help people Build your fucking skill. Be good at it. <laughs> Be good at it because you will keep your clients. They will refer people to you. That is how AB ex- came to fruition is because I was actually fucking good at my job. Weird, weird, you know? And so I didn't have to do the fancy marketing and all the different things and blah, 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 blah. People just came. And ultimately, we can't depend on that all the time. We have to market at some point, like to grow a business. You can't just like, rely <laughs> on people to come to you. That's not realistic. But um, when you're first starting and you are at a part-time level, there's n- you're never going to 
um, regret being better at what you do and helping people. Now, there will come a point where you do need to step out of your comfort zone and you might have to leave your full-time job to give everything you have to your business. And it's going to be scary. And you're going to want to shoot your pants. Like I did when I left Ohio State. (laughs) I was too. Like it was not comfortable. The last day I left and I was like, all right, well, I can tell you right now, my ego ain't letting me going back there. So like, it's either this or this. And luckily it worked out for now. I mean, you never know. Right. So, but it's scary. And so it is okay to be scared. It is okay to not know, but that's part of entrepreneurship is the unknown. And as long as you believe in the people that like what you do and the people that you help and you're willing to wake up every day and just do your fucking best, that I have no problem believing that you'll be successful. But when we do it for the wrong reasons, or we want to just have a quick, oh, I just want to make a lot of money and just work 10 hours a week. Like that type of fucking mindset, like you're done. Cause yeah. that ain't it. That ain't fucking it y'all. Like you will work 70 hours, hours a week. <laughs> some, some years you will work 30 hours a week. Some years, like it will ebb and flow. Cause business is never linear. It's never just flat. It's like ebbs and flows, ups and downs, especially if you try to scale it, it can be a lot. So like, yeah. You know, um, just be prepared for the unknown. And it's okay if you feel like like you're scared because you fucking should. Because it is. And that's okay. Yeah. I, I It drives me nuts when I see the, I'm sure you probably see them too. I don't even know. Where, I think I see them on Instagram sporadically and uh, maybe YouTube sporadically because obviously they're, they're targeting certain niches when it's like, oh, you know, you can work 20 hours a week and have a full-time job and then you can be on the beach and do all this stuff. It's like, not really. <laughs> I, I wish that was the case because it's, if it, it is, I'm screwing up somewhere, but that's definitely not the way that remote coaching works. It does give you the flexibility that if you want to go on vacation, you obviously can go and still work remotely. That's that part's 100% true, but it's not like you're only going to work 10, 15 hours and then you've got the rest of your week to do whatever you want. That would be super nice. Um, but especially yeah. if you like, like for you too, like your, your business has grown so much that now you have coaches underneath you and, you know, you've got, not only are you coaching, you also are now managing people and that's a job in of itself. Um, making sure that they're on the same page as you and, you know, ultimately your brand is being represented the way that you want, because if not, then you've got to take action to sure that happens. Because like you said, you give a shit about your business. So every client is going to either have a positive or a negative thing to say about it. And obviously we want the positive thing. And if the other coaches aren't doing their job, then that's a poor reflection of you. So I, I really would like to hear also like when you scaled up uh, last kind of thing here, when you scaled up, what was the big hurdle there? Like, I'm sure you were somewhat terrified inside but i guess like was there anything logistically or do you have any nightmares that came true after a couple of weeks of things growing bigger oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know doing, doing shit by yourself is a whole different thing but this is the thing it's it's work regardless it's just the type of work like what do you want to wake up to every day uh, i love managing a team um i love that now i have a few clients myself i don't actually have a lot my team does 99 percent of, of AB, which is dope. Um, so I would say scaling up. I mean, I just did everything wrong from the get go. (laughs) 
to be honest with you, <laughs> to be honest with you, because uh, I just didn't know any better. Um, but I would say the most challenging thing to manage is understanding a like why you hire someone, who you hire, what role you're trying to fill, um, and understanding the true constraints of a business. And I think that's the trickiest thing is a lot of business owners don't actually look at the right data. They don't track the right stuff. And so they end up hiring people that are actually filling the correct constraint or solving the constraint in the business. They just think, oh, I'm just, I'm really overwhelmed. So I got to hire a coach. Uh, maybe you should hire a virtual assistant first because you're doing a lot of bullshit that is costing you money because it's really low, you know, um, cost per hour activities when you should be doing higher revenue driving tasks. Like I didn't know that stuff when I first started. So I would just hire coaches really. It was like a whole mess. Um, so just knowing what the actual problem is, like what is holding you back? What is preventing you from growing? Is it a admin issue? Is it actually a bandwidth issue? Like what is it a pricing issue? Like what actually is it? Are you paying your team like incorrectly? So now your margins are shit. Is that the issue? Been there too, you know? Um, so you have to know what the actual problem is before make, providing a solution. And a lot of people just don't have the right data to know what the problem actually is. And it gets tricky. The bigger your business gets, <laughs> the harder it is to find a constraint because you think you know what the problem is. But you can try and solve it and you realize, oh, nothing's happening. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and you actually have to go back and, you know, um, figure it out, like what the actual problem is. Because if you make a 5% error when you first start, you won't even fucking notice that. But if you make a 5% error and you're making multiple six or even seven figures, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's bad. That's a lot of money, you know. And so you have to catch things really, really early. And hopefully prevent, and granted, everyone's gonna make mistakes, but you wanna make the mistakes earlier on. So you right. learn and you're not making those same mistakes as you grow. And so you don't cause catastrophe. It could just be a blip, right? So I think even for me right now, like growing with my team, we hired another coach. Instagram is a different fucking animal. Fucking, and I'll spot say it's not a limiting belief, it fucking is. Everyone knows it's an animal and you have to play the game. And Instagram is pay to play. Like if you're trying to grow past a certain level um, to get, I, the minute Instagram knows you're a business, it's going to shut your reach down. Yep. Um, it fucking will. Unless you're, I mean, even if you're posting three times a day, like it's a challenge. Organic content is really challenging to grow. Now, can you? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a threshold. The minute Instagram signifies that you're a business, it's going to twinkle that shit down. And I've seen it with my business, you know, my page over the last few years. It's a complete world 2018 when I was like, oh, this is great. And then slowly <laughs> Instagram's like, hmm, you're selling shit. Yeah. <laughs> I went full time in 2019 and just so weird how like my platform automatically just slowly started to like a challenging to get reach and, and all the things like that's a weird trend. Um, but everyone, every business page happened to and so I've noticed I've had to put a lot more money into uh, front end nurture, front end marketing, ad spend, boosting, like all the things that I've never had to do before, you know? And it's just, but you know what? We're spoiled too, because we got a free platform for how long? I mean, when's that ever been the case in yeah, terms of businesses, yeah. free marketing? So I think that's the challenge when you grow. It's like, you know, the constraint at the time was like, we're fucking full. Like we can't take any more people. Like we're turning people away. And like my coaches are overwhelmed. That was a constraint. Now we got to fix that constraint. Well, now that we have more space, we got to fill it. 
So it's going to require a different type of bandwidth, a different type of volume. And so that's a whole different new, like new thing. Yep. And women that are coming through, you know, women with hormone conditions, like they have been through the ringer. They've spent a lot of money. They don't, they have trust issues with doctors and other, co like they've, people in the industry, in the space now, women have usually have already had a coach. They usually have been dicked around by their doctor. They're not coming on a call with me being like, oh, awesome. Cool. Take my money. Like, no, 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 no. Yep. <laughs> they, they have trust issues. Rightfully so. It's a different ball game. You know, market sophistication is way higher, all the things. So I think too, it's like, you know, you have to have, you just have to know with your business, like when you fix a constraint, what it, you're going to just trade a problem for another one. That's all businesses is just trading problems and learning and growing. And so right now it's like, well, I'm this new phase where I never had to really write a whole lot of copy. I never really had to like nurture a bunch of, like, I never had to do all this stuff. So it's like, a, it's kind of cool. It's like, cool. I'm learning a new skill. I got, I got good at the last one. Now I'm going to get good at this one. And it's just constant revolving door of shit that you learn and get better at as you grow. That's really what it is. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, regardless of how you, because I know whenever we had, at one point we had two employees, now we have one and, you know, we're trying to continue to grow that. And the, the nice thing I will say about the online space is that essentially you can pay more money to get more reach and somebody's, like you said, as long as you're good enough, somebody's going to bite. Somebody's oh, going to come through the door. You're going to get people. And then you can try to work some referral systems. That's all great. The biggest issue that we've had as a business, I don't want to say that we're stagnant, but our growth, you know, for a couple of years, it was just like rocket ship. And then, you know, COVID hit and then it tanked a little bit and then it rocket shipped again. And now it's kind yeah. of like, you know, just it's hitting the governor. And so, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get that to kick back up again. And as a, as a brick and mortar business, that is a little bit, I mean, you, you can do all the, the social media things where you can kind of pay to play. But the bad thing about a brick and mortar is you've obviously restricted by location, number yeah. one. And then number two, usually like, an, you know, being brick and mortar, our services are more expensive because we're literally working with you in front of our eyes. Um, and that, so you kind of constrain yourself a little bit from a fiscal perspective. And then you've also got to get, you got to sell two people. You got to sell the parent and you got to sell the athlete. Parents yeah. might like it, but parent, if the kid hates it, it's not going to work out. The kid may want to do it, but if the parents think that it's stupid, then we're not getting the credit card in the account. So, you know, there's there's some issues there. But I, I think from a from an online space, like you talked about, the the algorithm stuff. I think people try to chase that too much. If you just sure. make good quality content, be honest, provide education, like free education. You know, no BS. There's no paywalls or you know, oh, you've got to to see the rest of the podcast episode, for example, you've got to pay to be on the website. None of that, just, just genuine, good quality content. Those are ideally, in my opinion, the people that you want to try to find, because if they're doing that, one, it shows they care Two, you're going to get some free added value. And then, you know, somebody you can trust because they're, they wouldn't do it just for no reason. You know, they, they probably got something legitimately to talk about to create that content. Um, and then if they happen to pay to play, that's another thing, but the whole social media space has definitely made, cause I remember whenever we started, whenever I talked to Dave Tate, you know, when I was on elite FTS, had a log, people were emailing me, asking me for training. And I was like, I, I, I went to Dave. I was like, I don't know what, what the fuck do I do, man? 
I was like, how, how do I set this up? And he's like, you know, you should have a systemized way to approach stuff. Take the first couple people, dirt, dirt cheap so you can get results, build you a little bit of a name, and then scale your prices up as you start getting people results, you start getting more people, and then you can find kind of like that. But, you know, back then, this was 2015, you know, $100 a month for training was actually kind of considered expensive. <laughs> which yeah. is kind of crazy to think about, but we also didn't have all these apps and platforms. Like if you wanted to write a training program, you pretty much had to write it from scratch or put it in an Excel sheet yeah, and then email it. And then all the communication was email. Yeah. And, yeah. and now you've got, you know, like you said, a space that you can kind of do this with like collectively with groups and people can be involved and it's way more streamlined and way more time efficient, which yeah. is, but you also, again, you've got to pay for those things. You know, just anything you use is not free anymore. If there's a free workaround, there's probably a reason why it's free because it's probably not very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole different world. And I always tell coaches that too. I'm like, don't look at like the algorithm isn't like your likes, engagement, all these things. It's not always telling you the full story um, at all, you know? And like you said, as long as you're putting out content, that's valuable to the people that you work with and you're genuinely trying to help and you're consistent, like, ultimately like that's what you need to be doing uh you can't control what ig decides to do the only thing you can do is controlling how, like how you show up for people and you always want to give twice as much as you ask you know so if you're providing a ton of value um then you again like that's the number one because people can sniff out you know someone who's just like trying to get dollars from them like it's it's pretty fucking obvious at this point yep yep Okay, so last thing, um, what is new or upcoming or what's going to be new? Anything you can share about Alicia's Barbell? What what do you got going on in the future? Any kind of programs that people might want to be aware of or just you got anything cool coming up? Um, I would say, I mean, I, don't, I mean, with, with coaching, I would say not necessarily new. Uh, we just, again, kind of for 2024, we're revamping a lot of the behind the scenes product, which is going to be pretty dope because I haven't had a lot of capacity to really not say grow that, but again, we're very service-based, but we have a really cool course that goes along with the um, coaching that a woman receive and not to say it's outdated, but man, like we can really do a ton with that. So I'm really excited to revamp our educational course uh, alongside the coaching for 2024. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it's a project. Um, and by course, I mean, these are educational videos that kind of do deeper dives into kind of what we talked about today, like the hormonal stuff, um, metabolism, but also mindset. Uh, because like we talked about in the very beginning, if stress and mindset is not tackled, there's no program in the history of the world that's going to help um, ultimately. So making our course a little bit more robust in terms of, um, again, setting boundaries, even like a financial course, we're going to add some like, um, be your own daddy stuff in there, which I'm really cool. I'm really, really excited about. So women have tactical ways to make more money, um, strategies with finances. I love that stuff. Um, so adding that into the course. So it's going to be more of a comprehensive course, not just like fitness, nutrition, but let's do mindset. Let's do, um, some financial strategies, but then we also want to add in a woman's sexuality side to it as well. Cause my head coach is actually a sex and relationship coach as well. And so there's a lot of stuff there. 
Um, so there's so much that we've wanted to build up. And that's kind of what we're looking at in 2024 is to make that more robust. So while our coaching services, it is what it is, depending on the, what the person needs. But there is this behind the scene thing, behind the scenes course that women get that they don't really know. They, it's kind of like a free, oh, by the way, here's this massive fucking yeah. awesome course <laughs> that you get when you um, sign up for coaching. And my coaches will choose like different modules that they want them to watch uh, throughout their time. Because sometimes depending on what the woman needs, they might want to skip around a little bit, like, hey, watch this, watch this, um, to help support their growth. So just building that out will be so much, so comprehensive and just beneficial. So they end up leaving our coaching, you know, obviously they, they shouldn't be with us forever. They uh, can exit our coaching and be like, wow, that was a lot fucking more than I thought it was going to be. And I'm really <laughs> happy I went through that, you know, it's more comprehensive. So that's really what I'm looking for for 2024 is to build that out a little bit more comprehensively. That sounds awesome. Cool. All right. Well, that ends the episode. Alicia, I appreciate you being on. There was a lot of great stuff here. I mean, almost an hour and a half. Um, always good to catch up with you. Always happy to call you a friend. And I know whenever me and Adrian get nutrition, hormonal stuff, you're, you're our go-to person. We send people your way. Hopefully you end up seeing them at some point, but um, you know, you're always, always in our back pocket. And um, will you be at Swiss by the way? I haven't decided yet. I'm like game time because I've had so much stuff these upcoming weeks. I'm like, and I've also still, I'm kind of sick, but I was sick earlier this week and I have my coaches retreat this weekend. So I'm flying them in uh, this weekend to, again, just do some fun shit. So it's just kind of like a lot. So I'm going to, gonna, you know, game time, game time decision. Cool. cool. Well, if you were there, I know that we'll see you there. We're going to be there for sure. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. You know, I love chatting with you as well. You guys are awesome. Um, and I appreciate you. And I have had people come that, oh, Brandon and Adrian, they referred me. So cool. Great. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Alicia. See ya. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you like to consume your podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube at The Smitley, where you'll find clips and lots of educational-based material for strength and conditioning and exercise science. You can also make sure you give me a follow on Instagram at B Smitley or at Team Thirst, which is my gym Instagram page. For any more future updates on episode to come, you can make sure you follow me there. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you at the next episode.